Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 176. Welcome back, Adamant Maniacs. I am your host, Adam R. Harrison, and thank you so much for tuning in today. I am very excited for today's episode because our guest today is from one of the all-time most decorated rock bands and a band I've been a huge fan of for a very long time. Sully Erna, the frontman of Godsmack, joins us today on the Adamantium podcast. And how badass is that? I, I'm so pumped and I was so giddy and excited for this episode to get the chance to meet Sully and to get to see Godsmack for the first time in a really, really long time. As far as uh, I could find, the last time they've played in Toronto was 2006 and the last time I saw them was in 2004 when they opened for Metallica. So it's been a long, long time and like something like six albums in between. So not to play favorites or anything, but this was the most excited I've been for an episode in quite some time. And I got this opportunity to sit down with Sully ahead of their headlining show here in Toronto at the Budweiser stage. They are currently on tour with the band Stained. And the interview went as well, actually better than I could have even expected because Sully is very well-spoken. He is incredibly articulate and self-aware. And so I'm very eager to get this episode into your ears. This year, Godsmack released their eighth studio album. It's called Lighting Up the Sky. It is incredible. It doesn't disappoint. It's as consistent as Godsmack always is. And it's quite possibly their last full body of work. And of course, more about that in the upcoming interview you're about to hear. If by some chance you missed out on Godsmack over the last 25 years, we're going to do the Adamantium Recommend segment. And that's where I pick out five of my favorite songs that you could check out before or after the episode. I usually like to kick off that list with something new. So from that album, Lighting Up the Sky, I'm going to recommend the first single from that album. It's called Surrender. It's an incredible song. It made my top 50 songs of 2022 as the single came out ahead of the album. And then from the previous record that came out in 2018, the album and the song I'm going to recommend are both called When Legends Rise. And then from the album before that, the album is called A Thousand Horsepower. I'm going to recommend the song Something Different. And then from their 2010 album, The Oracle, I'm going to recommend the song Crying Like a Bitch. And then I'm going to skip back a little bit to their 2003 album, Faceless. And I recommend the song I Stand Alone. And I'm sure those were all charting top 10 uh, rock songs on Billboard. So you've probably heard most of them, if not all of them already. Don't forget, you can also check out the Adamantium Recommends playlist on Apple Music, and that will include a couple of the selected songs I just mentioned, as well as a selection of songs from all the previous episodes. So check that out on Apple Music. If you are a Godsmack fan who is tuning into the Adamantium podcast for the very first time today, first of all, thank you so much for checking us out. I promise you're really going to enjoy this episode with Sully. If you do and you want to hear from us again or you want to go back through the catalog, we've had bands like Slipknot, like Shinedown on this podcast. You can do so easily by subscribing. So please do hit that subscribe button on whichever podcast network you choose to get your podcasts. You can also follow The Adamantium on social media. We're on Instagram at The Adamantium, on Facebook at The Adamantium Podcast, and on the artist formerly known as Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. Uh, but you can find us just by searching The Adamantium Podcast. 
And that's it for now. I'm really eager to share this episode with you today. So here it is, episode 176 of the Adamantium podcast featuring Sully Erna of the band Godsmack. As always, thank you so much for choosing to spend time with us today. I'm always grateful for every minute you choose to give to us uh, and listen to these conversations. I really do hope you enjoy this one. Have a fantastic remainder of your week. God bless, be well, and you'll hear from us again real soon. Cool. So here are with Sully from Godsmack. Thank you uh, again. I already just thank you off mic, but I'll thank you all on the record as well. Thanks for joining me. Um, I wanted to kick this uh, interview off by, by telling you actually a little story. And that was when I was one of the very first concerts I ever went to. Um, in, when I was in high school, my older cousin took me to a Metallica show. It was maybe like my fourth or fifth concert where Godsmack was the opening band. Oh, nice. And it would open my eyes, man, to to a whole new world of music. And uh, it was one of the, the coolest concert experiences. Um, and I remember to this day, but I was, I was I did some research and I think there was one show a couple years later, but since then you guys haven't really played in Toronto. This was like, I think 20, 2004 was the Metallica show. Yeah. And then there was one other show. And then I was like, cause I don't, I don't remember you guys being in town. And I think it's something like 17 years now or something from, from what I could find. Has it been that long? I yeah, it's crazy. So that's what my, my first can't question be true. was. That can't what, be true. What's keeping you guys away from Toronto? <laughs> I, I, I don't believe that to be true. But then again, I have no proof of when we were here since then. So I don't know. I don't, you know, when you tour, everything's just one big blur after mm-hmm. a while. You know, one show blends into the other. So honestly, I don't know when we played here last, but I certainly... Um, don't think it has anything to do with us not wanting to be in Canada. We actually love the country and we have a great time and great shows when we come here. Um, but that's a long time if that's the case. I, I don't know. I'll have to look into that. that was it. You I, got me stumped on that one. You know what? It was, it was, I didn't know either, but I was like, I don't remember, you know, uh, you know, seeing you guys around. And then I, I looked it up just on set list or whatever. Really? And the last show that was on record there was like, I think in 2006 at Massey mm. Hall. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And then the one before was the 04 with Metallica. Wow. That, yeah. That I was at with my, my cousin <laughs> mm, <laughs> as a young, impressionable teenager. And, uh, Yeah. So here we are. So I'm super stoked to see you guys today. Ah, glad yeah. to hear. Yeah. So and that's I think what six albums later. So so I got a lot of material to hear tonight. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely doing a spread of a lot of different, you know, songs from the catalog because now we're entering you know a part of our career where we're just trying to honor the music and the best of the best that we did over the years. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the band's at at this point. Well, I mean, you guys have had an am- amazingly consistent career um, of quality. And, um, you know, like, it's good. Let's, let's start talking about the new album. It's your eighth album, uh, Lighting Up the Sky. Um, it was the first in, in five years since Legends Rise. And um, when you guys started on this record in particular, what was what was the goal for the band's you know sound and how it would resonate with the fans? Um, I think uh, the goal was just really to try to write the best version of who we are at this point in time in our lives right now because the band has evolved so much over the years. 
as you know, being a fan yourself in the earlier years, you know, we leaned a lot more towards a metal edge where over time uh, the songwriting developed, the personalities developed, the people that we are, you know, have grown so much that we started to regress a little bit more back into our own roots, which is the Led Zeppelins and the Black Sabbaths and the Rushes and the Aerosmiths. And so we've always kind of considered ourselves more of a hard rock band than a metal band. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we get lumped into that metal category because the music was a little more aggressive in the earlier days when mm -hmm. we were young and angry at the world. You're right. right? Um, but then over time, you know, we started to really understand that we were just more of a hard rock band. and. Um, and we just wanted to stay true to that. So when the Legends Rise record came out, it really gave us an opportunity to like open up and expand into a little bit more of the commercial aspect and introduce like our first ballad, which was Under Your Scars. And that really was a gateway into this record because then it once we knew the fans were going mm -hmm. to embrace and accept stuff like that, then it really kind of opened the doors for us to just work on developing really well-written songs mm. rather than trying to lean towards what they expect us to be. Right. And I think that's what the intention was on this record, was just to write really big hooks and big melodies and just have a very powerful record without losing the integrity of the the, the edge that the mm. band has, <clears throat> but bring a lot more of um, the melodic into it. Right. And I think, you know, it's having that consistency, I guess... I, it's a lot easier both ways from the fans and the band to um, have that expectation of each other, mm -hmm. you know, that they're going to accept what you make and then be like, well, yeah, we well, know Godsmack's going to put out a good they record. They grow with you. Exactly. I mean, you know, the people that started with us in 98, you know, were in their late teens, early 20s, and now they're in their 40s and 50s mm -hmm. and have teenagers of their own, so... Everything has kind of, you know, evolved and, and the audience has grown with the band and now there's a whole new generation coming into it. Mm -hmm. and this album... Which it, just means we're fucking old. That's <laughs> it's just a very creative way of saying Well, old. even, I mean, I, even for myself, when I, was, when I was looking at that, I was like, man, 04, I was like, I was like 15 at the time. There you go. Like, well, there you kid. Go. Yeah. yeah. And here we are. So... Um, but the, the album, the other thing that's really cool about the album is it really has a flow to it from beginning to end. Mm. And was that, you know, when you guys were writing the album, was that intentional or did the songs kind of come together in a way where you just felt like this, you know, this can have a flow to it? One goes into the other. Yeah. Well, I've always been a big fan of records like Dark Side of the Moon mm. and, uh, you know, albums that take you on a journey and yes. tell a story. Um, I certainly didn't write this record with the intention of it was going to be a conceptual album. Um, and it's not, but um, when I, whenever I get to the mastering part of, you know, the production on writing a mm -hmm. record, you know, we, you write it, you record it, you mix it, you master it. Once you get into mastering, that's when you start sequencing the record and putting things in order. Um, and so it just so happened that as I was putting things together, I realized that it really was telling kind of a story mm -hmm. of one man's journey through his life and his career and the ups and downs that we've hit along the way so really it in a sense it kind of became a conceptual record without it being conceptual yeah. you know it was just it was just the way it worked out mm -hmm. it was kind of like you know sometimes you hit these moments um as an artist and they don't always i don't know sometimes things just don't flow as smoothly as other times 
and then there's just sometimes where you feel like you're channeling something and it just it's just coming mm -hmm. out and on this record that's what was kind of happening just one song after the other was coming out and when i started to put them together i realized oh if i switch this to here and this to there i can actually blend this whole thing and really make a story of this mm -hmm. whole album and that's really what it is it's really the journey of godsmack or at least my journey through the years right. with godsmack and how i've grown over time you know from a boy to a man to a father to you know a leader and mm -hmm. and it's um it's an interesting it's an interesting record for that reason it, you know it became very emotional for all of us mm -hmm. Even the even the production I read, you you kind of have like an all star team of people who have worked on previous yeah. Godsmack albums. So was was that was that something that was really important to you to have for this record? It was once we started to uh, discuss that this would be our last full body of work, mm -hmm. and when we started to talk about that, and then really kind of hearing the writing and what was going on and what the content was about, because every singer songwriter has the same block when they start a record. We're like what are we going to write about what mm -hmm. you know this we've wrote about so much already like what what's the thing now that's in right. your life that you want to touch upon um and so once we kind of knew where it was going it just made sense to like bring back all the people that or at least the people who we kind of started with the people mm -hmm. that made the most impact for us along the way mm -hmm. and that's why it was important to bring back mudrock because you know he's he's he was the guy that gave us our first break in boston when we didn't have any money mm -hmm. and we weren't signed yet um and we recorded our whole record over a weekend for twenty six hundred dollars right mm -hmm. and so it was like why wouldn't I mean, even our crew has been with us for decades. Right. You know, it's like a big family, including management and our producers and, you know, engineers and people like that. So it was important for us to kind of go back to the B. If we were going to tell the story of our life, then it just made sense to bring those people back that we started mm -hmm. with. And it's funny, in that, in that answer, you already touched on two or three other questions that I had coming up. So... One I wanted to go to is you mentioned that this is something you discussed that this, this album might be the last body of work that you guys do. What what made you decide at this point, okay, maybe that's a good idea or, you know, why did you think that this album in particular? Well, I mean, it doesn't seem like you guys have any purpose or any thought to slow down. Yeah, but. yeah, no, we don't. It's not like we're announcing a breakup or anything like that. We mm -hmm. just feel like we're kind of wrapping up one chapter in our life and we're opening up a new chapter mm -hmm. and we're kind of leaning more towards the beginning of the sunset years because right. in reality I don't think any of us know how long we'll actually go you know I know from me myself um, I never envisioned myself being a 70 year old guy right, dyeing right. my hair black with black leather jacket on stage you know mm -hmm. Trying to still look the part and do yeah. the thing. I mean, music's something I always wanted to do with my life and have done with my life, but it's not everything I want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's other things that I'm looking forward to in the back half of my life, as as are the guys. Um, but I think the reality really hit, and I say this with zero ego, when we were having a discussion and we started to think about what songs we're going to pluck off this record to become singles and then how many singles we have before that and how many are we going to be able to play a night and then we just kind of had this thing i guess um a, a realization point hit for mm -hmm. us right where we were like you know we're at 26 
top 27 top 10 singles mm-hmm. and 13 number that's ones. A full set. That's more than a full set right there. I'm like, if we pluck another three off this record, we're going to be at 30 top 10 singles. Like, that means we could play 15 songs a night, do back-to-back nights in the same town, and never play the same single twice, let alone the deep cuts that yeah. we enjoy. So we're like... We had to start thinking from a fan's point of view, and when you go to see Metallica or Aerosmith, mm-hmm. whatever, do you really care about their new record at this point? Right, right. I mean, it's cool. You said you have one out, and I'm, we'll give it a listen. Mm-hmm. But we're going to see Dream On and same old song and dance and walk this way, right? Yeah. And I would have to assume our fans are coming to see some of the highlight songs that they've mm-hmm. chosen to be the best songs in our mm-hmm. career. So I was, you know, we had this long talk, and we're like, maybe, you know, maybe we're at that point now. We have to start honoring the catalog, right, and not continue to just pump out you know because it's it's time consuming as well it's you know it takes six months to a year to write a record so you're away from your family and friends you know then you're in the studio for another eight weeks and then you're mixing for two weeks and then you're touring for two years and it's like four years goes by like Mm -hmm. that yeah every album cycle and i guess we're starting to just have um some mortality yeah well what i think is realizations of like that's know, do we want to fr- miss the rest of our life as well, or do we just want to go out now and have fun and play mm-hmm. our music? You know, we I feel like we've earned that after 30 years now being a band. Mm-hmm. It's like we should just be able to go out there and enjoy everything that we've built along the yeah. way. And, you know, you, you can never say never. Right now, I feel like this will be the last record. But who knows? Down right. the road, I might do, uh, you know, uh, uh, some kind of um, song with another artist or like, uh, you know, a collaboration, or we, mm-hmm. I, I mean, who knows? We may do a single. I don't know. Just right now, it just feels like the right thing to do is to go out there and honor the music. And mm-hmm. that's why I think. Well, I think it's one time. of the incredible things about Godsmack is the consistency um, in all those albums. And that, you know, tonight I'm as excited to hear Surrender as I am to hear I Stand Alone, mm. you know, um, which I think is incredible over a 25 year career. Mm-hmm. Um, what and you kind of touched on it already you know having the same crew for that long and stuff what what keeps what do you think has kept Godsmack so consistent and consistently putting out good records consistently having good shows and um, you know you never hear like not to throw but like you don't have a Saint Anger you know or something where people are like wasn't their best album you know but you you know. I think we have some. I mean, every band has their good moments and what weird they like. The, okay. Yeah, I mean, there's some records where I'm not really keen on or whatever, but there was some good songs on the record. Right, so again, okay. you know, you kind of pluck out the diamonds and, mm-hmm. and you just build yourself a toolbox full of the best of the best, and that's why this is actually called the Best of Times mm-hmm. Tour because it's really a reflection on the whole thing. But as far as um, you know, the crew and everybody else, I mean, I think it, it's just the answer is because we've done a good job with grounding ourselves and keeping ourselves humble Mm -hmm. and um, loyalty and honorable Mm -hmm. like we try to be good guys right Mm -hmm. we we we, we're not the band that trashes hotel rooms and right right gets into all kinds of crap like that Um, so I think that reflects too on the people that work for us the people we work with you know, everyone kind of knows their place when they work for an organization mm-hmm. like this. Um, it's not a wild child party. It's just, right. you know, it's a business and we're entertainers and we're here to put on a show and give people what they've paid for. And that's kind of what we've prided ourselves on over the years is trying to sound as good as we can live. So we never overdo it when we're recording. We want to be able to have the songs translate really well live without running computers and clicks and mm-hmm. all that stuff. 
Um, mm. And just to be able to have a good reputation as people and treat people well, even our opening bands and things like that. So I think that's what keeps people loyal to the band. Yeah. Is it, is it, is it odd or like bizarre for you sometimes playing a song you wrote 20 years ago? Like I, I've, I've interviewed artists where they're like, it's weird for me to sing this song because I don't feel the same way that I did yeah. 10 years ago. Or well, I'm a different there person. There was a moment it? where I felt kind of like that because I'm like, mm-hmm. eh, I don't really want to sing whatever anymore. Like, right. I'm just, you know, a voodoo. I'm just like, but I, I changed the direction on that because I started to look at it more of as a nostalgia thing where mm. it's like this meant some thing to somebody including myself at one point in time and so they're there to relive some of their moments and, and mm-hmm. you know memories um and so once again you have to snap into entertainer mode and right. not make this uh emotional and, and you know mm-hmm. make decisions based on emotion mm-hmm. you were saying about how the first album you made before you were signed in 96 you made for 2500 2600 um you know now it's amazingly easy for an artist to put out music, put music out to the world from their free. bedroom for yeah. free for, mm-hmm. from their bedroom. Mm-hmm. You were doing it uh, before people even widely use the internet. Mm-hmm. Tell me what your life was like as an aspiring musician trying to get your work out there. Well, it was a whole different world back then. We didn't mm-hmm. have, the, the internet was just starting to surface when we became a band. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we actually, our first demo was on a cassette. We didn't even know what a CD was. Someone was like, oh, you got to put that on a CD. What the fuck is a CD? Um, so, yeah, we, we were right on that cusp of everything changing into digital from mm-hmm. analog. Um, and then, obviously, the first signs of the internet and that kind of thing. So, um, back then, you know, it was just, it, that's how we did it. We, we did it like every other band did it before that era. We were just rehearsing in our basements and garages and rehearsal spaces. And we were working jobs and we were, you know, rehearsing from seven at night to 11 at night and then getting up at five thirty, six in the morning to go to our work. And then on the weekends, we'd either play small gigs in the bars or clubs um, or we would be out flyering cars if a big band was in town, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get our show visible um, to that audience yeah you know and that's Uh, kind of it and then you know eventually we just we recorded our first demo um, for like I said 2600 bucks over a weekend we put 11 songs on it and then we started just selling them you know out of the trunks of our cars pretty much and a local record store called Newbury Comics picked it up and we would give them like five a month and then five a month turned into, you know, 10 a month and then 10 a month turned into a hundred a week and a hundred a week turned wow. into a thousand a week. And before we knew it, we had sold 20,000 records. Yeah. Could you even produce that many on your own at that point? Like, well, we were just yeah. trying to keep up. <clears throat> yeah. We didn't realize that we were becoming the buzz of Boston at that yeah. time. We would just go like, Oh shit, we need another thousand CDs. They're yeah. out already, you know? And we were just kind of in the grind. So, um, you don't know what's happening when you when it's happening. When it's happening, you know, yeah. you're just in, in it. Like, in oh, it. we yeah. need a hundred more shirts and yeah. whatever. So, but uh, yeah, and then back then, of course, we were still relying on SoundScan, mm-hmm. right? That's how like uh, the record stores would, um, what do you call it? Uh, keep track of their sales, mm-hmm. and the record labels would keep track of their artists through those sounds, the, the barcodes. Um, so they were just kind of looking at their own bands to see how well they were doing in that specific chain of record store. 
So they would call and they'd be like, hey, how's our artist doing today? They had, you know, Chumbawamba or whoever it was. Yeah, yeah. They were promoting Three Doors Down or something. And, you know, in the record store, be like, oh, they're doing great. They're number two this week. And he's like, oh, that's cool. Who's number one? They're like, yeah, some God, God smack. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And they're like, who the hell is God smack? Yeah. And so they started, that's we started getting their attention through that. And then they started to, you know come to the show it's a very cool stories you know the, like yeah and that's kind of it was very organic yeah back then and it's a cool story to hear now but at the time when you're in it like i said you don't know it's, it's happening you're just I'm in sure, it yeah <laughs> i remember the record label calling my bedroom because my phone number to my bedroom was on the cd was on, yeah and they were just like hey this is you know avery Lippman from republic records with universal and i'm like yeah okay eric fuck off and I, <laughs> I, I literally hung up the phone on, yeah. the, on the president of the record label yeah i thought it was my friend fucking around yeah I'm the one that he calls back. He said, don't hang up. Yeah. This is really Avery Lippman. I'm cut. And then he started talking like contractual stuff. And I'm like, yeah, this wouldn't be Eric. Yeah. This is so legit. I'm like it's time we get a manager. <laughs> yeah. That's a really cool story, man. Um, when I was 16 is when I picked up the drums. And one thing I remember from that show was the drum duel. And so tell me, tell me from uh, what, what point did you, you know, have the thought, okay, maybe I want to move from drums to being the front man of this band? I think, uh, well, that's it's a long story, but I'll, I'll give you the, the short version, yeah. which is uh, back in 93, I, you know, I've been a musician my whole life. I started when I was three. My dad's a musician. My great uncle was a famous composer in Sicily. Like, music has been in my bloodline for a long time. So I knew I was always going to be a musician, but you know, when you get to your teenage years and you discover mm -hmm. pot and things like that, then you want to be a rock star, you yeah. know, and you've seen all these like bigger than life concerts. Um, and then from that point forward, it was like, you know, being on a mission to just be successful as a drummer. Cause mm -hmm. that's what I was my whole life. Um, and then I finally got to a point where I signed a record deal with Warner brother reprise with this punk metal band called strip mind. And I felt like I had made it, like that was my moment. Long story short, me and the singer really didn't get along or whatever, and we started to kind of like really brawl, and um, and they fired me uh, after being in the band for you know a couple of years or whatever it was. I did the record with them and all that stuff. We toured, and, and then uh, then we got into this thing, and they felt he felt I was the problem, so they cut. I was the new guy, so they cut me loose. And at that point, I just kind of went down, you know, and I was pretty depressed, and I quit music. I just was like this hmm. you know i was 25 at that point i went through so many bands so many things and uh, i just felt like music wasn't going to be the thing so i quit for a year and i went and got a job i cut my hair off and um i was working for a collection agency and different things uh you know and then about a year later i started to get the itch you know mm -hmm. because it's in my blood and i wanted to play but i was like well this time i'm gonna do it my way i don't want to mm -hmm. follow the direction of any other band leaders and I had been learning guitar over that time, you know, just noodling around on a piano and a guitar and stuff like that. So I just decided, well, I'm going to start a band and I'll write the music with the band and I can even track the drums and all that stuff. But then I'm going to write lyrics yeah. and I'm going to try to do this and front the band. And that's kind of how the whole thing started. I called Robbie, who was a mutual friend of, um, of my sister's friend. And that's how we, we connected first. And then we started with a different guitar player. 
uh, and eventually we wrote you know enough songs that we brought a drummer in after we had recorded them mm-hmm. and, and it just kind of started out as like a studio project it wasn't supposed to do this this was just an experiment mm-hmm. we were just scratching the itch you know he was kind of ready to quit music at the time he was a few years older than me i was 27 he was 30 mm. 31 or whatever and uh he was like i don't know if i want to do this anymore and he was painting houses or whatever yeah so i just you know we we um was it we, hard for you to pick a drummer being a drummer yourself uh no because i knew some a lot of drummers okay i knew who were good drummers and who were yeah who could you know do play what you wanted yeah, for yeah for, for but yeah as you know so it was really like i said it was just kind of an experiment at first we were like oh let's just go write some music and have fun with it you mm-hmm. know that's what we do we're musicians we just want to play and have fun and that's what we did but then as we started to kind of like leak the music out and people were really starting to come you know give us advice on what songs they loved and what songs they did and we started to kind of carve it more into the heavier stuff because the mm-hmm. first demo was just all over the place mm-hmm. not the not the first record but we actually had like a cassette before we would call it Godsmack, we would call it the scam. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then you know, it then just started growing from there, very organically or whatever. And then at one point, I'm like, you know what, Robbie, maybe we should just try this. And uh, we made each other a promise. I said, look, it, let's just give this a, a good run. Give give it like two or three years. And on my third, I was 27 at the time. Mm-hmm. I said, on my 30th birthday, if we haven't signed a deal, I'll quit with you. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I turned 30 <laughs> on. February of 98 and we signed a deal in June of 98. Wow. So it was that close to never playing music again. Wow. But we had already had such momentum going by February of 98. I wasn't going to bail on it, but yeah, it, it yeah. was really, it was pretty tight. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool, man. Um, one other thing mm-hmm. that I, that I read about that I thought was really cool, especially being, uh, being here in Toronto. And it's one of my, uh, one of my heroes as a drummer. Um, I read that the song Serenity was inspired by the late great Neil Peart's Peart, book, yep. uh, Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. So tell me, tell me about your relationship with that book, and what you know, what sparked the idea for this. Well, Neil and John concept. Bonham were my two drumming instructors. Okay, you know, I, I had formal lessons when I was younger, but those two guys, when I discovered, uh, you know, Rush and Zeppelin, like mm-hmm. then that was it. I quit all lessons, and I just used to play records. So they really became my drum instructors. So they had a huge impact on my life. And of course, Neil, you know, is the king. Mm-hmm. Um, so my whole childhood was based on learning Rush records. And then uh, I read his book and it was just really moving, you know. I mean, he went through a lot of shit. And so we were writing the Faceless record at the time in uh, North Miami. And Tony had this acoustic piece and. <clears throat> I just had just finished the book and I, it was such a touching story about perseverance and, you know, in humans and all the shit that he went through. And it was incredible for him not to wrap a rope around his neck and hang himself. Mm-hmm. It was pretty, you know, admirable. So um, anyways, uh, it was just based, you know, on that one, one person's journey through a lot of trauma and how they heal themselves. That's pretty cool, man. Um, we just passed um, one another cool thing that I that I picked out that was really cool. Boston's mayor declared August sixth mm-hmm. Godsmack Day, which was just a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. In Boston. In Boston, yes. Doesn't how, get, it doesn't get you out of any traffic tickets. I was gonna say, how did that? How did it come to be? 
Why August sixth? I have no idea. And what's is there? Is there any tradition? There's no Did story. You, okay, there's nothing. Just he one. Just, he's just a fan. Day. He gave us a proclamation, Amazing. and that's, it doesn't do shit. Yeah, fantastic. Just go if you still drink and drive, you go to jail. Oh yeah, well, I mean, that, <laughs> that should be no we matter. No who privileges. You are, but yeah. Um, last last thing I wanted to ask you about before we wrap this up is uh, tell me about the Scars Foundation. Foundation, yeah. And uh, and for our listeners, what it's what it's about and how you started it, yeah. Yeah, uh, it started about five or six years ago. Um, I was uh, in a brief relationship with Lady Gaga, actually, and that's the seriously. This... No, I'm lying. <laughs> and that's how this whole thing kind of came about. We um, we were both going through some challenges in our life. She was just coming out of a relationship. I was just coming out of a relationship. We met, really clicked, got along great kind of dated for a hot minute. Um, but within the time we were spending together, there was just some things that surfaced. Um, and it reminded me of how easy people can get triggered mm -hmm. um, when they're carrying their own scars and their own emotional kind of uh, trauma that they live through or experience or whatever. And sometimes uh, I just wish, I don't know, it, 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 I guess it just reminded me of like, how we're, we should wear these things more openly, right? Mm -hmm. Whether they're physical or emotional scars, I think they're your battle wounds from life mm -hmm. and you should wear them loudly and proudly because what happens when we don't do that is we fall into these depressions and sometimes it can go into severe depression. And we've lost a lot of friends because of this um, through addiction, bullying, PTSD, severe depression, stuff like that, a lot of things, mental illness. Um, but it's the silent killer, right? Because mm -hmm. if you don't know they're battling with depression, um, you can't help them. So when when all this stuff was kind of going through my mind, and, and again, no, nothing went bad with me and Stephanie. It was just, um, it, the timing wasn't right. Mm. But I have an incredible amount of respect for her. I mean, she's really one of the smartest business people I've ever met in my life and incredibly talented. And, and talented so artists, there was no sure. problem there except for, um, through our conversations, mm -hmm. uh, we would talk about different things like that. And, um, and it, that's what got my wheels spinning. So I wrote this song called Under Your Scars. Mm. And it was just about acceptance, mm. about understanding that we're not perfect and that we have all these imperfections. And, and, but these are what makes us who we are today. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's when we started to go, you know, this is... This is, I've always wanted to kind of put my time and effort into a nonprofit, but there was never a topic for me that touched me on an emotional close, yeah. level. And it's not that like AIDS or cancer foundations or whatever aren't honorable. I've just never personally been affected by that mm -hmm. or someone I knew in order to get that embedded into it. So I always wanted to give back and help. I just couldn't find my lane. Mm -hmm. And when these conversations came up, then I was like, well, this is exactly what I need to do because mm -hmm. this is where all my expertise lies because I grew up in such a rough neighborhood with, filled with so much crime and violence and gangs and drugs. Um, and there was so much of us that went through these kind of mental illness issues. We just didn't know what that was yeah. back then. Mm -hmm. um, and now seeing how these people are going through it now, losing a lot of friends to suicide, um, a lot of artists to suicide or addiction, things like that. I'm like, this is my lane, this is where mm -hmm. I need to be. So we developed the Scars Foundation and now it's growing to uh, a global level where we're helping people all around the world battle these mental illnesses and saving their lives because our job is to give them a voice 
And that's really what we focus on. Like I said, when someone battles this, they feel very alone and they feel like they're in a mm-hmm. dark place and they don't want to voice it because they're either embarrassed or they don't think mm-hmm. people understand. We can't help them if you don't know. Yeah. And the last friend that I lost hung himself because I didn't even know the guy was on on prescription meds. Like, mm-hmm. And he just was breaking them in half at the end because he couldn't afford them anymore. And then he ran out and he spiraled mm-hmm. out and he, and he took his life. Um, because he was too proud to ask for help. And these, this is one of the examples where it's like, if we don't know, we can't help. So what we've done is we've created a community um, in events and things like that. We've partnered in with some amazingly big companies now that are backing us. Um, and we're really starting to make a lot more noise with it. And that's really what, what it's about is bringing people into the community, telling their stories. Because once in a while, all it takes is for someone to share a story where someone's just tuning in to listen. Mm-hmm. And it gives them the strength to tell their story. And then once it's out, then we know how to help. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're doing is we're giving you know, the silent killer a voice. Mm. That's unreal, man. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, Sully, I want to thank you for, for sharing those stories. Sure all the stories that you shared today and, and for your time. And You're this welcome. was a fantastic conversation. Yeah, no worries. Enjoyed man. it. Good Thank to meet you. you. Yeah, yeah of you course. too. Nice to meet you too. The Adamantium. Thank you for tuning in to the Adamantium Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd absolutely love for you to subscribe to us on whichever platform you listen to your podcasts. I'd also love to see you on social media. You can follow on Instagram at The Adamantium, on Facebook at The Adamantium Podcast, and on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. Thank you again so much for listening.